Well, it is always a joy to get to share with y'all in intersection and, and preach. It's especially, it's especially a joy to be here um, for this baptism of this sweet family. We're thankful to God for this moment. So it is a, it is a true joy uh, to be present um, here in intersection this morning. And of course, I always say after a baptism, you know, I could, we've already seen God move, so we could just say the benediction and go home now. I mean, we're not doing that, so don't get your hopes up. But we could. So uh, it is, but it is a joy. It is a joy to be together in this time. Today, our we're, in the, we're doing a series in this Lenten season entitled Last Words. We're looking at the last words of Jesus Christ upon the cross and uh, what he says uh, to the people gathered around and what it means to us today as believers. So today, we're going to be looking at something we see in Matthew's gospel. We're going to be in Matthew 27, verse 46. Where it says this in Matthew, well, I'll start with verse 45, but the key, the key verse is uh, verse 46. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabathia. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite Concepts in all the entire world uh, is the concept of misheard song lyrics. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of misheard song lyrics. That's just back in the olden days, you know. So for you kids now, we're going to tell you how, it was, how what it was like in the olden days when Paul Paul Rusty was just a young whippersnapper, you know. Back in the olden days, you, to know what the song lyrics were of a song, you probably had to buy the record. And hope that the record had a song lyric sheet inside of it so that you can know what they were saying. Because if not, you're going to be listening to Purple Haze and singing along with Jimmy when he said, excuse me while I kiss this guy. Come on, you know you've heard that song lyric of Jimmy, of Purple Haze, excuse me while I kiss the sky. And you always hear, excuse me while I kiss this guy. There's other great ones. One of my oh, the other good ones I, I saw the other day was um, in Bob Dylan's uh, song, uh, Blown in the Wind. The ants are my friends, and they're blowing in the wind. My other one, the other one that I really liked that I didn't really catch until I listened to it, but um, in Hotel California, what a nice surprise when your rabbi dies. I mean, these are great. I, I love, I love, I mean, because you think about it, when we were in the Delta, um, uh, my little bitty churches, you know, I think I've shared with you before, my little bitty churches, Boyle, Lennon, and Lytton, you know, Litton on a good Sunday had five people. Bull on a good Sunday had 18. You know, so we were talking little bitty churches. Well, at two of the three services that we, we, um, we served, Holly led the singing because you do not want me leading the singing. That is, that's why I have a microphone nowhere near me during the singing portion of worship because nobody wants that. But Holly would lead the singing at Boyle and Lynn because we had like 18 and 20 people. At Lytton, she sat in the crowd because it looked better to have five folks down there than four folks. So, but when she would lead the singing, some days we would be singing, and I would just close the hymnal, and I would just sing whatever I thought the words should have been to the hymns. And it would always drive her insane. Because I would, at that point, when I knew it bothered her, I, I did it on purpose just to mess with her. So I, I've, I've always been a big fan of misheard song lyrics or basically making my own lyrics to whatever the song is that I'm singing. Today's passage is 
in my opinion, the biggest misheard song lyric in world history. It, it, we, it's, it's a misheard song lyric. It's Purple Haze. I mean, it's blowing in the wind. It's a misheard song lyric. So let's unpack what we're talking about here. Jesus, in this passage, is quoted the book of Psalms. Let's talk about what the book of Psalms were. The book of Psalms were, for the Jewish people, uh, they, were, they were their hymnal. I mean, the, 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 for the Jewish people, the Psalms were the songs they would sing in worship. If you've ever been to a, um, a Catholic service or an Episcopal service or maybe even a Lutheran service, you may have been there where they would chant or sing the Psalms. Like, that's, that's a very common thing you can experience in a lot of different services. In fact, if you were to get out our hymnal, there are notes in our hymnal for how you can sing the psalms as well or chant the songs, psalms. That, that's a pretty common historic thing for churches to do in worship is to sing or chant the psalms. Going all, I talked about baptism, how our baptism flows the concept of covenant in the old covenant. Same thing with Psalms. We go back in the same way to the Jewish people. The Jewish people chanted or sang the Psalms all the time. The Psalms were their hymnal. The Psalms were their Caleb. It was the spiritual music that the Jewish people live their life by. That, that, that's what the Psalms were. And that's, by the way, that's what they should be for us. One of the most ancient Christian practices that I would encourage you to do is to read the Psalms. Psalms are great, y'all, because they have great power within them. And there's such piercing honesty in the Psalms. Like today's is very honest. But some of my favorite Psalms, one of my professors used to always say, the Psalms sometimes have a pattern like this. Lord, you are powerful and beautiful. Lord, I love you. Lord, they're evil. Lord, why haven't you killed them yet? And if we're going to be honest, don't we feel that way sometimes? Maybe you don't want to say kill them, but we're the, we're the psalmist in Psalm 73, wondering why do the wicked, why do the wicked prosper? And why do those who seem to get, do right often seem persecuted? The Psalms ask these questions. I love them. You should read them. You should pray them. You should sing them. The Psalms can be one of the best parts of your faith. I, I, I've shared with some of y'all before, one of my, I think probably the best preacher to ever preach in this part of the world was uh, Dr. Frank Pollard who was the longtime pastor at First Baptist Jackson for years and years and years, Dr. Pollard said one time, you should read three psalms and one proverb every day. I thought, oh, that's a good, that's a good recipe for living. Three psalms and a proverb every day. That, that's good stuff. So the psalms are like that. So we see, we see the Jewish people, they would sing the psalms. And many of the psalms have specific purposes, just like certain hymns or praise courses have certain purposes in that service or in that season, the Psalms are the same way. So your Psalms, like Psalm 121, I lifted my eyes to the hill from whence does my help come. My help it come from the, from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That, those 120 Psalms are called songs of, Psalms of Ascent. They're all about looking up to the mountain, going up to the mountain, walking up to the mountain. The Jews weren't like hikers. They weren't navigating the Smokies. 
The mountain they were navigating or climbing was the Temple Mount. These were psalms they would sing on the way to the temple. So I lifted my eyes to the hills from whence does my help come. What's the hill you're looking up to? The Temple Mount. Who is your help? The Lord himself. He will not let your foot be moved. The one who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep your coming year going out from this time forth and forevermore. It's a song of worship. It's a, it's a song getting ready to go into the temple to realize how awesome God is. So that's what the song, and so what happens is this. So I say to you, let's see if this works. We're going to call and response. I say to you, amazing grace, you say, that's right, you know it. You can't not say how sweet the sound. You know that's the first line of that hymn, and you know what comes behind it. You know, you know common Christian songs or hymns. You know what's going to come next. You're not shocked by it. You sung it. You sang Amazing Grace 15,000 times. You know it like the back of your hand. You know what's going to come. That's how the Jews were with the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, you said one, you said one line from a psalm you knew what was coming next because you've sung that psalm a thousand times. You know it. You know it's coming. So, Jesus today, in this moment on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The misheard song lyric. It's like we're driving around the back road to Pike County listening to Pearl Jam for the first time, or maybe that's just me, and try to make out what the songs were. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do we hear? What do we hear? We hear Jesus realizing the imminent coming of his death. And we hear Jesus thinking that God has forsaken him. We hear Jesus saying that God has turned his back upon him and that he is cast out of God's presence. You may have heard it said that in this moment, Jesus felt the full weight upon the sin of humanity upon his back. Because the Bible does say the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So in this moment, we have often heard that in this moment, the reality of human sin made Jesus believe that God had turned his back upon him because sin cannot enter into God's presence. And by the way, there may be some real truth to that. that that's not a terrible interpretation. That's true. You know, we humans are really good at killing each other. It's one of our great gifts as humans is we can always come up with new and inventive ways to kill each other. And of all the ways we humans have figured out how to kill each other in human history, y'all, the cross is up there. Of all the ways to die, do not pick the cross. You were naked. They stripped you naked to embarrass you and shame you. They nailed you to a cross. And you typically died of a combination of asphyxiation um, and heat stroke. That, that's typically how you died. Uh, you may remember in, 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 in the end of the 
narrative of the cross. They broke some of the, when they saw Jesus was dead already, they broke the other two guys' legs. You remember that? The reason why they broke your legs is because you were nailed in such a way you had to push up to breathe. And so when they broke your legs, it kept you from being able to push up to breathe. Like, it, it's a, you don't want to be crucified. Like, if you have a choice of the matter, choose something else. So I can imagine Jesus in this moment feeling alone, feeling forsaken, feeling the weight of all of it. I can totally imagine that. So that's not a terrible thing to think about or a terrible way to understand it, that Jesus was feeling the weight of that and the reality of that. And, and, and so like I said, that's not a terrible way to look at it. But remember what Jesus is doing, though. He's quoting a psalm. He's quoting Psalm 22. So we hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we hear that one verse disconnected from the rest of the psalm. Like we don't know what's coming next, do we? We know that one line. We don't know what's coming next. But that's not how the Jews were. The Jews heard the first line of this song, the song, and they knew what was coming next. Just like amazing grace, we know what's coming next. They heard, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they know what's coming next. Here's the thing, y'all. This is the, mis- this is the misheard song lyric. We don't know what's coming next, do we? So now we're going to read part of Psalm 22 and see what's coming next. Because that's what Jesus was doing. He was quoting Psalm 22. If I was a professional, I would have, if I was a professional, I would have marked that. So. so Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heard that before? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning. That sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. At night, but find no rest. Verse 6. But I am a worm, not worm, not human, scorned by others, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your call to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Does that sound familiar? Remember last week? You know, and a week before that, you know, the thieves mocking him. Many bulls encircle me. The strong bulls of Basham surround me. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. That's, that's how you die on the cross. Like your, boy, your bones are being pulled out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and my feet have shriveled. I can count my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Hello, this is describing the cross, is it not? So when Jesus in this moment says this, he's describing what is happening. But let's keep going. Verse 22 of 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. You offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe, all you offspring of Israel. Verse 24, for he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not, he did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. For my vows I will pay before those who fear him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To in him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down, and before him shall all bow who go to dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity shall serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying, he has done it. We hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we hear a, a cry of defeat. When we read Psalm 22, you know what Jesus is doing? He's not crying defeat. He's crying victory. He's crying victory. And we shall tell of this. We shall tell what the Lord has done to a generation that has not yet been born. This is not a cry of agony of a defeated Christ. This is a cry of victory from a victorious Christ. Because the cross now is not a sign of defeat. The cross is not a sign of agony. The cross is not a sign of pain. But the cross in this moment is being transformed from defeat to victory. Jesus is not saying I am defeated, but Jesus in this moment is crying victory. For now, in this moment, evil has been defeated. In this moment, sin has been atoned for. In this moment, your guilt has been covered. In this moment, God is victorious. And what looks like a defeat, what looks like pain, what looks like death, what looks like hatred, what looks like violence, what looks like all of these things, actually, through the grace of God, is transformed into victory. This is not a cry of defeat. This is a cry of victory. We hear amazing grace and think how sweet the sound. They hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they hear, he has not turned his face. He has not turned away, but he has heard the cries. And a people not yet born will be told of the victory of our God. This is not a cry of defeat. This is a cry of victory. For in the cross, we are redeemed. In the cross, we are forgiven. In the cross, we are restored. In the cross, no matter how great the sin, no matter how great the betrayal, no matter how great the fault, no matter how great anything we face may be, in the cross, the blood of Christ covers it over, and we can hear these words, you are forgiven. As Christians, the cross is not the defeat of Christ, but the cross is the ultimate victory of God over sin, death, and the grave. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. This is not 
Jesus' moment of defeat. That's why he's quoting Psalm 22, y'all. You think that was just a random quote? You think he's sitting there thinking, hmm, what can I say? Huh, what verse of scripture can I go back to from Bible drill? What can I say now? No. Jesus purposefully, intentionally, with intent, quoted a psalm of victory. A psalm where all who heard it would know that in this moment he was declaring victory over sin, death, and the grave. Romans 8, 28, y'all. All things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We serve a God who takes our defeats and turns them into victories. We serve a God who takes our pain and makes them tools of redemption. We serve a God who takes our loss and uses it to push us to himself. We serve a God for whom there's nothing in life or death that can separate us from his love. And we serve a God that, as Genesis 50, 20 tells us, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. So today, friends, where is that place of defeat in your life? Where is that place that looks and feels like defeat? That place that looks and feels like failure that Jesus Christ wants to turn into victory? Where is that misheard song lyric in your life? Where's that thing that your heart and soul are telling you that can't be redeemed or can't be changed or can't be restored or can't be saved or can't be given to him? Hear the words of Psalm 22, y'all. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't forsaken you. But in fact, he longs to redeem you. Today, friends, where are the places in your life that God longs to redeem? Where are the places in your life that God longs to restore? Where are the places in your life that you've been saying defeat over for so long, but God wants to declare victory over? What we see as Christ's defeat through a misheard song lyric is Christ's cry of victory. Y'all, where in our life does Christ long to cry victory over? Through his grace, may we surrender that place to him today. Let's pray.